Section 2 of Commentary on the Gospel of John Book 8 by Cyril of Alexandria, translated by Rev. Thomas Randall. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. From the Syriac He is one Son and one Christ, capable since his incarnation of no separation of nature, except so far as this, that we may say that we acknowledge separately the nature of the Word and the nature of the flesh and we may say that they are not the same in conception for the one is of the essence of god the father but the other had its roots upon earth in the holy virgin nevertheless there is only one christ of the two who is not divided into a duality of sons after the concourse of these natures which have been mentioned but remains and is regarded as in possession of the power of the godhead although clothed in flesh. 24. Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a grain of wheat fall into the earth and die, it abideth by itself alone, but if it die, it beareth much fruit. He not only foretells his suffering and the nearness of the time, but he also alleges the reason why he counted his suffering most precious, saying that the benefit of his passion would be great for else he would not have chosen to suffer for he suffered not unwillingly for by reason of his clemency towards us he displayed such great and tender kindness as deliberately to endure cruelties of all kinds for our sake and even as a grain of wheat sown in the earth shoots forth many ears of corn not receiving through them any loss to itself but being present by its power in all the grains of every ear for out of it they all shot forth so also the lord died and opening the recesses of the earth brought up with himself the souls of men himself being in them all according to the doctrine of the faith over and above his own separate and distinct existence and it is not to the dead only that he has granted the power of receiving the fruits of the benefit he brings but to the living also if indeed the doctrine is made faithfully to correspond to the form of the parable for the life of all men both of dead and living is a fruit of the sufferings of christ for the death of christ became a seed of life can it be then that the divine nature of the word became capable of death surely it were altogether impious to say this for the word of god the father is in his nature life he raises to life but he does not fall he brings death to naught he is not made subject to corruption he quickens that which lacks life but seeks not his own life from another for even as light could not become darkness so it is impossible that life should cease to be life how then is the same person said to fall into the earth as a grain of wheat and also to go up as god with a shout surely it is evident that to taste of death was fitting for him inasmuch as he became man but nevertheless to go up in the manner of god was his own natural prerogative twenty five he that loveth his life will lose it and he that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto life eternal 
you not only ought not to be offended at the thought of my suffering or to disbelieve the words i said but it is even right that you should be prepared in anticipation of it for he that thinks fit to be careful over his life here and is not willing to expose it to dangers for my sake loses it in the time to come but he who exposes it to dangers in this present world is laying up in store for it great rewards and he who despises his life in this world shall obtain in the world to come life incorruptible and the lord said these words not as implying that the life that is to say the soul can suffer anything here but meaning by love of life the disposition to hold it firmly as shown by those who do not expose their body to dangers twenty six if any man serve me let him follow me what he says is something of this kind if i he says for the sake of benefiting you am exposing myself to death is it not indeed cowardly on your part to shrink from despising your transient life for the sake of enjoying your private advantages and from obtaining life imperishable by means of the death of the body for they seem to be hating their own life with regard to the endurance of suffering who expose it to death and keep it for everlasting blessings and they also who live in asceticism hate their own lives not being subdued by the pleasures of the love of the flesh what therefore christ did in suffering for the sake of all men he did that it might be an example of manly courage teaching those who are desirous of the hoped-for blessings to be eager in the practice of this virtue for it is needful he says for those who wish to follow me to display manly courage and endurance like mine for so only will they receive the crown of victory and where i am there shall also my servant be and since the author of our salvation travelled not by the path of glory and luxury but by that of dishonour and hardships so also we must do and not complain in order to reach the same place and share the divine glory and of what honour shall we be worthy if we refuse to endure sufferings like those of our master but perhaps in saying where i am there shall also my servant be he speaks not of place but of progress in virtue for by the same qualities in which christ appears conspicuous those who follow him must also be characterized this does not refer to the god-befitting and superhuman prerogatives for it is impossible for a man to imitate him who is the true god and in his nature god but to all such qualities as the nature of man is capable of displaying not the bridling of the sea and deeds of similar character but the being humble and meek and tolerant of insults if any man serve me him will the father honour herein he says certainly consist their recompense in being honoured by the father for the disciples of christ are sharers of the kingdom and glory of christ according to the measure fitting for men and he says that the honours are given from the father although himself is the giver of blessings 
ascribing to the divine nature the act of giving to every man according to his work and showing us that the father wills that we should obey the commands of the son because the son does not legislate in opposition to the father we must note therefore that he that does things pleasing to god serves christ but he that follows his own wishes is a follower rather of himself and not of god twenty seven twenty eight now is my soul troubled and what shall i say father save me from this hour but for this cause came i unto this hour father glorify thy name now he says is my soul troubled and what shall i say father save me from this hour but for this cause came i unto this hour see i pray you in these words again how the human nature was easily affected by trouble and easily brought over to fear whereas on the other hand the divine and ineffable power is in all respects inflexible and dauntless and intent on the courage which alone is befitting to it for the mention of death which had been introduced into the discourse begins to alarm jesus but the power of the godhead straightway subdues the suffering thus excited and in a moment transforms into incomparable boldness that which had been conquered by fear for we may suppose that even in the saviour jesus christ himself the human feelings were aroused by two qualities necessarily present in him for it must certainly have been under the influence of these that he showed himself a man born of woman not in deceptive appearance or mere fancy but rather by nature and in truth possessing every human quality sin only excepted and fear and alarm although they are affections natural to us having escaped being ranked among sins and yet besides this profitably were the human feelings troubled in christ not that the emotions should prevail and go forward as in us but that having begun they might be cut short by the power of the word nature in christ first being transelemented into some better and diviner condition for in this way and no other was it that the process of the healing passed over even unto us for in christ as the firstfruits the nature of man was restored to newness of life and in him we have also gained things above our nature for on this account he is also named in the divine scriptures a second adam and in the same manner that as man he felt hunger and weariness so also he feels the mental trouble that is caused by suffering as a human characteristic yet he is not agitated like we are but only just so far as to have undergone the sensation of the experience then again immediately he returns to the courage befitting to himself from these things it is evident that he indeed had a rational soul for as the circumstance of feeling hunger or indeed of experiencing any other such thing is a suffering which is peculiarly that of the flesh so also the being agitated by the thought of terrible things must be a suffering of the rational soul by which alone in truth a thought can enter into us through the processes of the mind for christ 
not having yet been on the cross actually suffers the trouble by anticipation evidently beholding beforehand that which was to happen and being led by reasoning to the thought of the future events for the suffering of dread is a feeling that we cannot ascribe to the impassable godhead nor yet to the flesh for it is an affection of the cogitations of the soul and not of the flesh and although an irrational animal is troubled and agitated inasmuch as it possesses a soul yet it does not come to feel dread by a process of thought nor by a logical anticipation of coming suffering but whenever it happens to find itself actually involved in any evil plight then it painfully experiences the sensation of the danger which is present here on the other hand the lord is troubled not by what he sees but by what he anticipates in thought further it is noteworthy that christ did not say my flesh is troubled but my soul thereby dispelling the suggestion of the heretics and although thou mayest say that in the ancient scripture god said to the jews your fast and holiday-keeping and festivals my soul hateth and other expressions of a similar kind we shall maintain that he has made use of our habits of speech especially by reason of his helpful condescension towards us just as also by a forced use of language he attributes to his incorporeal nature a face and eyes and other bodily organs but after the incarnation if we were to explain such expressions in the same way it would follow that he was a mere image or phantom or shadow and not truly a man according to the teaching of the ungodly manes therefore the word of god made one with himself human nature in its entirety that so he might save the entire man for that which has not been taken into his nature has not been saved nevertheless after speaking of being troubled he does not relapse into silence but transforms the suffering which had affected him into dauntless courage almost going so far as to say death is in itself nothing but on this account i permitted my flesh to feel dread that i might infuse it with a new element of courage i came to restore life to those who are on earth wherefore also i am prepared for my passion he then makes a request of his father and exhibits the outward appearance of prayer not as being weak in respect of that nature which is almighty but in respect of his manhood ascribing to the divine nature those attributes that are superhuman not implying that the divine nature was something external to himself since he calls god his own father but in full consciousness that universal power and glory would be the lot of both father and son and whether the text has glorify thy son or glorify thy name makes no difference in the exact significance of the ideas conveyed christ however despising death and the shame of suffering looking only to the objects to be achieved by the suffering and almost beholding the death of all mankind already passing out of sight as an effect of the death of his own flesh knowing that the power of corruption was on the point of being for ever destroyed 
and that the nature of man would be thenceforth transformed to a newness of life he all but says something of this sort to god the father the body o father shrinks from encountering the suffering and dreads that death which is unnatural to it nay more it seems a thing not to be endured that one who is enthroned with thee and who possesses almighty power should be grossly outraged by the audacious insults of the jews but since this is the cause for which i have come glorify thy son that is prevent me not from encountering death but grant this favour to thy son for the good of all mankind and that the evangelist in some other places also speaks of the cross under the name of glory thou mayest learn from what he says for the holy spirit was not yet given because jesus was not yet glorified for in his wisdom he in these words speaks of being crucified as being glorified and the cross is a glory for although at the season of his passion christ willingly and patiently endured many contumelies and moreover underwent voluntarily for our sake sufferings which he might have refused to suffer surely the undergoing this for the benefit of others is a characteristic of excessive compassion and of supreme glory and the son became glorious also in another way for from the fact that he overpowered death we recognize him to be life and son of the living god and the father is glorified when he is seen to have such a son begotten of himself of the same nature as himself and he is good light life and superior to death and one who does whatsoever he will and when he says glorify thy son he means this give thy consent to me in my willingness to suffer for the father gave up the son to death not without taking counsel but in willingness for the life of the world therefore the father's consent is spoken as of a bestowal of blessings upon us for instead of suffering he spake of glory and this also he says is a pattern for us for while on the one hand we ought to pray that we fall not into temptation yet on the other hand if we should be so tried we ought to bear it nobly and not to rush away from it but to pray that we may be saved unto god but glorify thy name for if through our dangers it comes to pass that god is glorified let all things be accounted secondary to that end moreover just as death was brought to naught in no other way than by the death of the saviour so also with regard to each of the sufferings of the flesh for unless he had felt dread human nature could not have become free from dread unless he had experienced grief there could never have been any deliverance from grief unless he had been troubled and alarmed no escape from these feelings could have been found and with regard to every one of the affections to which human nature is liable thou wilt find exactly the corresponding thing in christ the affections of his flesh were aroused 
not that they might have the upper hand as they do indeed in us but in order that when aroused they might be thoroughly subdued by the power of the word dwelling in the flesh the nature of man thus undergoing a change for the better from the syriac and again when saint cyril is manifestly reproving the impiety of arius and of evnomius after other things he teaches as follows since therefore that which is the outcome of thoughts could not truly happen to inanimate flesh but on the contrary is suitable to a human and rational soul how can it be improper to imagine that we think rightly in assigning the suffering to it that is to say the human soul rather than in casting it upon the nature of the godhead as we must do by forcible and inevitable reasoning if truly in accordance with their doctrine the divine nature dwelling in christ's body occupied the place of the soul from the greek there came therefore a voice out of heaven saying i have both glorified it and will glorify it again the evangelist did not say that it was the father who uttered the voice from above but that the voice came from heaven in order that no heretics because they heard that the father spake might attempt to say that also the divine nature to it the father is encompassed with a gross body wherefore he speaks indeed of the harmonious voice but how the voice was brought to pass it is not in our power to say but what the interpretation of its words signifies is this the son was conspicuous by many signs the father with all working the miracles along with him and inasmuch as he was fellow-worker with him in all things which he did he says now that he has glorified his name and freely promises that he will also glorify it again through the sign at his death for inasmuch as the son is both god of god and life born of that which is by nature life he raised himself from the dead but inasmuch as he is regarded as a man like us albeit without sin he is not regarded as having raised himself but as risen by the power of the father thirty jesus answered and said unto them this voice hath not come for my sake but for your sakes the father replied aloud after what manner he only knows unto his own son manifesting his own purpose with intent to rouse the zeal of the hearers that they might believe without any doubt that he is by nature the son of god the father but the multitude were perplexed and divided unto different surmisings without understanding for they ought to have apprehended that it was the father that gave answer unto whom the son had addressed his words for the son asked not for thunder to come nor for an angel to utter a voice nevertheless he saith the voice hath not come for my sake but for your sakes for he knew the purpose of him who begat him even if no word had been uttered for that he was and is the wisdom and word of the father for your sakes therefore he says the voice hath come in order that ye may receive me as son of god whom the father knoweth to be by nature his own son 
Now the Lord says that the voice hath come, yet he adds not that it was the Father's voice, nor how it came, for this is a superfluous matter. He affirmed, however, that although they had even heard a voice as from heaven, they persisted none the less in their impiety. End of section 2